1021 in the morning, April 25th, entering the RSS feed of Got It Memorized, a Twin Peaks podcast with a Kingdom Hearts quote for a title. Shouldn't be too hard to remember. I'm sure the hosts have a fun show. That's what I need. Fun show, reasonably paced. I'm Wheels, and this is Joe. How are you, Joe? I'm doing great. I've never been described as reasonably paced before. That's really <laughs> nice. I like it. I think that I think that's what we deliver. Yeah. We knocked out uh, Recoded and won. <laughs> that's true. Uh, not going to be able to do that for Twin Peaks Season 1, unfortunately. No. This is going to be a multi-ep endeavor. We are going to try to stick to one ep, one ep though yes so, this is gonna be in other the, words this is gonna be only, a long fucking episode yeah this is gonna be the only one that's a challenge because not only is the pilot long as hell there's also probably just a lot of like table setting glossing we're gonna do because it's fucking us and david lynch Mm-hmm. but do you want to just try to cut as much as that as we can and just jump into it because yeah i mean this the is thing Twin is Peaks. It's we're a gonna show. be talking about it for a while there will be plenty of other times yeah. for us to bring things up but we're both very excited to be doing Twin Peaks. We've been making references to it the whole dang time. Long, You might remember in the very first episode we ever did me saying, I guess I have to watch that if I make a podcast with wheels now. Is that really, is that really in the first episode of Gotta I'm, Memorize? I'm pretty That's sure. We, pla- we planned it from the beginning. We're, met, we're continuity masterminds. It's the long con. Mm-hmm. But yes, Twin Peaks is a television show. Uh, which is different from what we've covered before. I don't. We never. We never just covered. It's always been video games. Yeah. And Twin Peaks is especially, I think, fitting to the complicated stuff we we do in large part just because, like, I'm not not even just like because it's a complicated story and weird, unexplained well, shit happens. But it's like, complicated in similar ways to what we've done before in that it's complicated, but all of the pieces don't necessarily fit together mm-hmm. right. There's no. There's no, like, puzzle box kind of story where no. you watch it back and everything clicks together and, and the clues were there the whole time. It's, it is complicated for vibe reasons yeah. and complicated for uh, character nuance reasons. Yeah, which I think, you know, the, 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 the longer we've gotten into this podcast, that's more of a thing that I have difficulty with with Kingdom Hearts. And I love Kingdom Hearts. But I love this show that we, when we talk about it as well. But there's there's something to like. I love that vibe of Kingdom Hearts where things don't fit together or make sense. But it is more involved with explaining itself. It wants to yeah. line the pieces up and tell you in each part. Like here's some of the answers. Here's some new questions. Check back next time. Yeah, and it's it's very much a check back next time. And I think because you know we started as a Kingdom Hearts podcast. And a lot of the things we covered tangential to that, I mean, Final Fantasy X was a bit of a stretch, uh, was, was kind of in the line of that, where it's like, oh, we're, we're going to cover Tui because it's connected to Kingdom Hearts in some way. We, we, we always say that we're going to try to make sense of this mess. I don't, we're not really going to try to make sense of Twin Peaks too much. We'll tell you what happens on the screen. We'll recap it to the best of our ability and probably riff on a lot of the shit that's happening. But, like, it would be wrong to go into this saying... We need to line out exactly what happens. We're gonna find out who killed Laura Palmer well, if that. it's the last thing I do. That sure. We'll figure that out. Uh, um, let's just jump in, right? I think so. I mean, uh, another thing worth saying probably is that the numbering on some of these episodes is weird. <laughs> so, like, the pilot is That's right. yep. technically not episode one, uh, but you should definitely watch it. 
Uh, we're we're covering it. Yeah, it's that old it's that old TV thing where the pilot is like episode zero, and the first episode once the series has yeah. been picked up and starts to be produced is called episode one. Um, yeah, none of the episodes had official titles when they aired, and so there are kind of like post hoc titles that have been added to the ones that aren't the pilot. So yeah, it's confusing, but this is the pilot episode. Yep. Yeah, so it's very funny to pull up the wiki and be like, not to be confused with episode one or part one, which is, of course, that right. <laughs> the return is just part one through part 18, um, which we'll get to in a million years. Um, but yeah, so the pilot, it's much longer than all the other episodes. It sets a lot of fucking stage. Um, I watched the alternate ending for the like... Oh, the one that the movie version when the, when this was cut as a TV movie. Yeah. yeah, in case the pilot didn't get picked up, Lynch uh, filmed some extra stuff that like gave the, it an ending as a short. I mean, not that short, but like a film uh, for for yeah. European VHS markets. And I'd never seen it before. I was just really curious on what was reused because some of it is, uh, and it's 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 interesting and weird. Probably won't come up in this episode, but interesting and and weird. I'm glad that I yeah, I've never it. seen it myself. That is interesting. Do you want to open? Did you watch? Yep, yep. Also, I don't know if this would be on the streaming services, but on the DVD or a Blu-ray that I have, Ed, there is a a brief introduction from the log lady. No, I've not. I've not seen that. No. Okay, it's just like a slow zoom on her sitting in a chair, and she says, "Welcome to Twin Peaks. I live in Twin Peaks. Thanks. I am known as the Log Lady." <laughs> um, cool. And uh, it's just like a weird, interesting tone setting thing. I don't know where comes from her why but like that but she kind of just ends it being like it all starts with laura palmer she's the one and then it's then the episode starts weird yeah i know i've never seen that the episode as it airs though begins with with some establishing shots of a big house in the pacific northwest on the coast of some river or bay or what have you we see uh the family that lives there there are pete and uh, Catherine name is Catherine Pete and Catherine Martell uh, a married couple as well as <laughs> wow I can't remember any character names I guess I, I, I got them all about that Josie Packard Josie Packard, Josie Packard um, who is Catherine's brother's widow yes. uh, they live together it's it, you're very much in this position of Dale showing up in a town of just like you 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 are not getting introduced to things happening. A million things have already happened. It is just you, you are just, plopped yeah. into an existent, very tightly knit small town with with a lot of history. Yes, but yeah. So this this is Pete Martell, his wife Catherine, and Catherine's brother's widow, Josie Packard. Pete heads out in the morning to go fishing. He notes that a lonesome foghorn blows. I think I think he tells Catherine just like gone fishing. <laughs> like yeah he does he, yeah and, and every a, every pete lie delivery is fucking perfect he's the best he's the best there's a uh there's a nice character beat where like he's trying to get even some lick of attention out of his like to acknowledge that he's there from his mm -hmm. wife but she doesn't care she does not turn from her newspaper uh and yeah he just has gone fishing and then he notes that a lonesome foghorn blows it does uh, and You're then right. he notes that there is, he sees a uh well it just kind of looks like some sort of plastic bag that's washed ashore and until he gets close to it and realizes it is that it is in fact a body wrapped in plastic uh it wrapped kind of feels plastic. like the only 
the only bad thing in this otherwise really idyllic spot tucked away in nature. Mm -hmm. He calls up the sheriff's department. And he, of course, knows them all by first name. It's, it's that kind of small town. Lucy, this is Pete Martell. Lucy, put Harry on the horn. I, I like those details as it unfolds. I also, I think Lucy is one of my favorite characters. Her introduction line is great, too, where she's trying to direct Harry to the right phone. Mm-hmm. She's, a, she's an over-talker like me. She over-explains things. I empathize with her <laughs> so deeply. Yeah, I kind of want to just... That's actually what I kind of do want to read. Sheriff, it's Pete Martell up at the mill. Um, I'm going to transfer it to the phone on the table by the red chair. The red chair against the wall. The little table with the lamp on it. We moved it with the lamp we moved from the corner. The black phone, not the brown phone. And then she transfers it and the phone rings and he picks it up. <laughs> Yeah, there's 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 a, a ton of scenes like that for her. I love her very much. And yeah, then he he answers the phone. Uh, Pete's deliver like when Harry answers it, Pete just says she's dead, wrapped in plastic. And there's something probably the most famous line in the show. Ra- I would yeah. assume probably. I mean, if not that, I mean Dale's intro, mm-hmm. which we've already referenced in the opening of the podcast. But there was something to this like. I can't imagine, everyone is so shocked that it's Laura. But when he delivers that, there's like a part of me that feels like, did he just like, like, no, like, was she, <laughs> what did, did, no, what I get out of it is that Harry doesn't, so Pete never says, it never says Laura's name, at least that we can hear. There is a moment where we're not hearing the other half of the conversation, mm-hmm. but they it don't, seems like, like he's not giving her name, but. He just uh, says she's dead. All Harry needs to know is that there's a dead body. He needs to know where it is so he can head up there and figure it out. Yeah, he, so, uh, he's just kind of so so taken that there is a dead young woman here. Because uh, Harry is also shocked when they find out that it's Laura in a minute. Yeah. All of this is very well done. Very sad. Uh, very. I found it uh, very overwhelming on a rewatch. It's one of those shows where once you've, even though this character is dead, <laughs> there are at the very in the very first scene, there are many ways in which this show bends itself backwards to make sure that you actually do get to know this character who is sometimes it's dead arms at the start back. of the show. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes it's arms, arms bend back. And yeah, on a, on a rewatch, when you know, when you feel like, you know, Laura, um, mm-hmm. it can be really hard to. Yeah, it's uh, it's sad for yeah. sure. Yeah, the performances are good. There's one scene in particular that I'll, we'll talk about when we get there. But a lot of the first, like, 20 or so minutes of this is just people finding out, like, getting the news that Laura Palmer has been found dead and just reacting to it. And through those mm-hmm. really strong performances and reactions and the way everyone, like, talks about it and handles it, you just kind of you just kind of end up being ingratiated to her because you're like, well, she was this important to literally everyone in this small town. Yeah, it's it's perfect because in each of the, the little vignettes that we'll see, we learn a lot about Laura and a lot about the people in her life and uh, like what their personalities are, too. It's like a character. It's there are so many character moments here where we're learning about both the characters that are in the scene as well as the characters that are not in the scene. The dialogue mm-hmm. is just so economical in that sense. Yeah, and uh, di- this is this is one of the episodes directed by David Lynch, 
Mm-hmm. Um, we should also say... Which there aren't that many no. in the original run. All of Twin Peaks The Return is directed by mm-hmm. And of course, Lynch, Firewalk, but... but. Right. Yeah, I, I think there's only two episodes in season one. I believe it's this and three. Maybe that number's wrong. Which is be- my favorite episode. Because of the, of the number. Show. But yeah, which is the also the one that reuses think, footage from Didn't the, he also direct the... Fin- oh, whatever, we'll get there. We'll, we'll get, I'm, not, I'm not sure. And probably a lot of the weirder stuff in two, I'd imagine his name is on. But we haven't yeah. mentioned Mark Frost's name yet, and we probably should. He, yeah. He, the yeah. other, like, uh, Twin Peaks is very much this child of two people. As much as we are Y'all ever Lynch seen fans. Hill Street Blues? I, I haven't, should I? <laughs> that was that was a Mark Frost's, the show that he was running before Twin Peaks. It was like a police procedural show. And uh-huh. so you've got, you, yeah, as you were saying, it's it's a collaboration between David Lynch, experimental filmmaker, who makes up shit and does what he wants, yep. and Mark Frost, who comes from a more traditional TV mm-hmm. production writer's room background and the two of them despite being very different writers complement each other in mm-hmm. uh really nice ways i think yeah it's it's very interesting frost is the guy who wants to have reasons and answers for things and i think the way that lynch i maybe this is too much credit i don't know how much i don't want to say he's like the the person above frost but it almost feels like there's a way he lets it happen sometimes like it, it's a very mm-hmm. interesting ebb and flow of the two as the showrunner he knows what he knows that david lynch is it's like playing with fire right he knows mm-hmm. he knows how much like the show knows how much of lynch it needs to inject some oddity and intrigue mm-hmm. but yeah should we keep Chugging? Yeah. We got a lot of ep. Yeah, even even with, like, that more traditional stuff, uh, and I mean, you could, Lynch has made a couple movies that are a little more traditional and accessible. E- even with that, there's, like, he's, he, with that, he's doing, like, incredible, like, mise-en-scene stuff. Like, there's, there's so much mm-hmm. happening th- throughout the shots. Um, and there's, like, a lot of names and introductions in this, and, like, a lot of connections set down um and if you don't get them all in the first time that's okay there's more show to watch uh and, and we'll be recapping it for you yeah. so we'll 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 note out the things that you'll need to remember yeah uh notably two more people show up at uh the the body wrapped in plastic and it's uh the town doctor again i don't think i've ever actually heard his first name before will Hay- hayward uh yeah everyone just calls yeah, him doc, doc hayward. hayward yeah uh and deputy andy brennan um, as you have uh, before mentioned, the Goofy of Twin Peaks. Th- yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, he shows up. I guess he's new. I don't know how long he's been in this police force, but he's he's asked to take pictures of the body before they roll it over for evidence, and he just starts uh, crying. Um, and Sheriff Truman says, Andy, is this going to happen every damn time? <laughs> Yeah. Uh which is just great. Yeah. Uh I, I love Andy. Um they He says same thing last year at Mr. Blodgett's barn, which <laughs> implies that it was over an animal he was crying over before, mm-hmm. which is so endearing. I love Andy. Andy's great. Uh he's a whole damn town. <laughs> uh they do roll over, find out that it's Laura Palmer, and they just they don't even really, I think, say her name right away. They just know. Like she's just a face that everyone knows. Mm-hmm. You too will know her face if you've uh, watch the show pretty quickly, and then it like cuts to her mom, Laura's mom, 
uh, trying to get her up before school. Uh, now that the audience knows that this is not going to be sad and not uh, and great. Probably, this is probably around the time I would start talking about how good the score is as well for Twin Peaks. The, all the music is incredible. Oh, Angelo. Oh, Angelo. Angelo Badalamenti. Angelo Badalamenti. Yeah. yeah, incredible composer with a lot of direction from Lynch directly. We've referenced the Oh Angelo video a million times. I recommend everyone go watch it. Um, I think you could probably uh, just search it, yeah, Oh it, Angelo. It really makes clear how their collaboration uh, worked, yeah. wherein Lynch would use would would describe a vibe, mm-hmm. and Badalamenti would play the vibe uh would would vibe it out on the piano and um it seems like the two of them were just in sync about what they wanted this town to feel like and the the space that they wanted to create with the score it's really nice yeah i have the the original soundtrack on vinyl i want to go listen to it now and probably cry (laughs) yeah so that's yeah i i this is i think around the time you start really hearing that that theme of laura's that um it's what he talks about in that video. If you look up, if you just look at Oh Angelo Twin Peaks, you get you get the videos I'm talking about. It's it's him explaining how he wrote Laura Palmer's theme, um, and he he does a, a, a cute little uh, impersonation of David saying, "Oh Oh Angelo, I see Twin Peaks," <laughs> and it's uh, it it brings me so much joy. Uh, things that do not bring me joy is Laura's mom being. Uh, very distraught when she realizes uh, that she is not in her room and home and she starts calling around trying to see if maybe she's with uh, her boyfriend, uh, Bobby Briggs, a name we're going to see a lot of. We also get some quick shots of his parents in this episode. They don't really talk much, but his dad will be very important uh, with time. Always dressed in military regalia mm-hmm. is major. that the right way to say it he's an officer he's he's major briggs Ma- major he's, oh, wait, i don't briggs. think we ever see him out of uniform it's i can't very deliberate choice and it's very odd he's not that major of a character major briggs he, but he's, he's there yeah, he's kind of like backfilled as as important with as time goes right. on and the world gets bigger um but yeah he has like two lines in this first episode but he is fully dressed up and, like, these first scenes are really early in the morning, too, uh, which I think is another detail. And I don't, I don't know. Did their morning start with her giving him a back rub while he's in full uniform and yeah. reads the paper? Uh, yeah. And then, yeah, so she, so Mrs. Palmer, Laura's mother, is calling around town to try and, as you mentioned, to try and figure out where her daughter is. As you mentioned, she calls the Briggs home because she's dating their son, Bobby. Um, they don't necessarily know that whether or not Laura is with Bobby, but they figure she probably is that, uh, he would be at football practice at this time. So she calls around to the school and gets in contact with the coach and says, and the coach says, actually, Bobby hasn't come to practice all week. So no, I haven't seen him or Laura. And sign. Mrs. Palmer starts to get real nervous and she calls up to the Great Northern Hotel where her where her husband is because her husband works is is working on a Mm -hmm. deal with the owner of the Great Northern Hotel. Um, So he's up there at the Great Northern and she rings up there to the front desk and tries to get a hold of him. Mm -hmm. A lot lot of more important characters showing up here. Uh, Leland Palmer is the dad that she's trying to call just 
an incredible performance uh, that Ray Wise gives it. But also, this is, I think, he's not much in this first episode. Did you know episode. that he acts in, like, he's, like, the villain in Christian movies now? Like, he's he? the villain in he's played one Satan. of the gods not dead. He's played yeah. Satan a couple times. And he's the villain in one of the gods not dead movies. Like, that's that. he's good. just, he's just become one of the, that's, like, pure, pure flicks uh, actor retinue at this funny. point. That's how I'm going to get Jory to watch Twin Peaks. I'm going to say, this guy's in it. <laughs> All your favorites from pure flicks. Yeah, so... Th- She's able to get her husband on the phone and he's like, yeah, don't worry about it. I'm sure she's with Bobby. That's the simplest explanation. I'm sure that's what happens. And as he's saying that, we see the sheriff's car parking at the Great Northern and you see the sheriff get Mm -hmm. out and ask the front desk where Leland is. He's right there by the phone. And just seeing the sheriff there, Leland automatically knows you can just see the mood drop it, on his yeah. face. It's just all and he connects as it like the audience knows it's coming. And he b- basically just mouths or whispers Sheriff Truman, oh, just sort of saying what he sees. Mm-hmm. And Mrs. Palmer hears it over the phone and hearing that the sheriff is there. They're both having this breakdown at the same time, surrep- separated by the, over the telephone line. But you get to hear how each of them breaks down and and Mrs. Palmer in her private home is completely breaking down in tears and and she's uh, keening. Mr. Palmer is, you know, in a public place and so he has to keep his composure a little bit more. But you can see that they're both breaking down and before the sheriff even says it, Leland says that he realizes that his daughter is dead. Yeah, there's something to... That being immediately what they just know is true. Like, mm-hmm. it, it, it's not like, oh, you found her and something bad happened. It's just, she's she's gone now. Like, there's just a gravity to it. And yeah, that shot you were talking about before, that is uh, just, there's a lot of really great examples of that, of like, something happening in the foreground and something else happening in the background that's like, pushing forward. There's a shot in the school later that I, I really like that does the same thing, uh, where you just kind of like know what's coming. The Great Northern Hotel will be uh, a very important place over time. It's owned by two brothers, um, or it's run by two brothers. We see a little bit... Ben and Jerry Horn. We see a little bit of Ben in this episode. He doesn't do much except for um, have his life ruined by his daughter, Audrey, who uh, we also see a quick shot of as she's leaving to go to school. She just causes problems through this whole uh first episode she's a lot of people's favorite character i love her it is understandable uh um and you see her in a lot of things which is also understandable because the actor's very hot but also Mm -hmm. i think because of that people for like i'm not sure if you haven't seen this show but you've seen that character around you might not know that she's a piece of shit in this show like (laughs) she almost exclusively causes problems and they kind of like it's it's revealed that she's just doing it because she is deeply unhappy, which I think a lot of people resonate with. But she does cause a lot of problems, uh, especially Mm -hmm. for uh, her dad, who in many ways probably deserves it. Um, But well, yeah, we'll we'll keep... That's a thread that's more so for the rest of the the season. Uh, After the the breakdowns happen, we go now to uh, another famous location, the Double R Diner, where a bunch of faces are shown it's iconic enough that it 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 essentially stands exactly as it did when this pilot was shot and Mm -hmm. it has 
caters to Twin Peaks pilgrims, essentially. Yes, yeah, it, it's 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 a it's a you can you can go to a lot of the the things that this place was shot at. Uh, interestingly, the pilot specifically yes. because they didn't go back to this location for the rest of the show, but but they kept using all of the establishing shots from the pilot for these locations. Yeah, they, I know the Great Northern, they shot at the actual hotel, and then, like, for the rest of the seasons, they did um, a set, and I don't remember if they go back to the actual Great Northern for the return or not, but, yeah, the establishing shots they keep using. Uh, so some of the people who are here, notably Bobby, I think this is the first time we see Bobby's face. I think you're right, yep. And he's, It's uh, uh, not a not a really plot-important scene, so we don't need to go over all of it. No. Um, there is one thing that, that, like, strangely, it's just a weird moment that basically never... There's a character that's introduced here named Heidi who never shows up again, except that she awkwardly... She, like, randomly shows up in the season two finale, and it's a weird, like, what the fuck? I thought... I had no idea that character still existed, and, like, that's the entire that, point of it. But other than that, it's mostly just a character introduction scene. Yeah, uh, Bobby, um, is hitting on one of the waitresses, Shelly. Their relationship is secret, of course, at this point. By the end of this episode, you're like, oh, so literally everybody is just dating everybody? It's just a whole... Everyone's cheating on everyone, it, It's yeah. just a, It's just a tangled web that has been weaved. Only so many people in the town. <laughs> yes. And it's, yeah, it's very much things like, oh, look at this perfect small town and look at how messed up it is if you just pay this attention, uh, which is very yeah. much a, a a Lynch thing. It's a blessing and a curse, too, because it's I think it is a very accurate portrayal of like white small town America. Mm -hmm. But that means there there are base. There are so few characters of color at yes. all in this show. And I think it's its biggest bad, like biggest negative point, mm -hmm. because it really is not coming from many different perspectives you, you, at you all. You can count faces of color for the for on on like one hand maybe two by the end of the show yeah. and it's, it's a very fair critique and it's one that i have a hard time digging into in large part because i'm like it's a show about shitty white small communities so i i like absolutely there there is yeah. a point at which like obviously like yeah the people of color are in the show are often the recipients of like violence or bad things happening it's like well it is a show about awful white people, people like keeping their wealth and power over other people. That but it also has it also is basically like law enforcement. Good <laughs> it, in a lot of, in a lot of know, ways. It, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, it has its problems, but it is also mm -hmm. like so accurate to a portrayal of to like both a lot of the problems and a lot of the idealism of mm -hmm. small town America. Um, it's very much the town that my mom grew up in. Yeah. Although. Not in Michigan, but in the Pacific Northwest instead. Yeah, there, there's a lot of malleability to the metaphors going on, um, which is the thing, like, too, with, with, with Lynch in the room, you can never really take anything as, like, just concrete the same way. Uh, but unfortunately, ACAB does include Dale Cooper, uh, and we have to acknowledge that. Yep. So Bobby and Shelly go off. To, uh, they're in their secret relationship. Uh, we get a shot of Norma, who will be... Um, not, not really... Doesn't, doesn't really do much in this first episode, but she... Uh, she's the, yeah, she owns the diner and works here. We'll talk more about her later. And Bobby. She's older than, she's, yes. Bobby and Shelly are high school students. She's an adult. She's like a full on How adult. old is Shelly? Because she's like married. Yeah. Uh, well, I get the idea that it's, I mean, people get married early in small towns. Yes. Um, yeah. Especially at that, especially in that time period. But, uh, 
Yeah, I think she's supposed to be like 18. I get the impression. I would, yeah, I would guess. We'll talk. I mean, that's essentially what just happens next is is the two of them start, they drive to Shelly's place to have a little tryst in the greenery before her husband gets back. But turns out her husband is actually Home early. Uh, there unexpected. So they just see his truck and freak out and drive away. And it, and it, we don't see her husband, Leo, but we are instantly communicated to that he is scary as fuck because even the sight of his car in the driveway sends them fucking Mm -hmm. running um and bobby just pops it in reverse shelly goes home and he just floors it Mm -hmm. there's yeah there's a lot of performances doing more than any script does that is also true of these next couple scenes leland sees his uh daughter at the the memorial hospital uh and then we start getting into the stuff at school and get introduced to a couple more of the uh, friends that Laura had. Donna is one of the main ones. They, they all look like they're 30. <laughs> yeah, they're older actors. Um, I I was just talking about this in uh, the, the group chat that I have for, for talking about movies. I, I've just become age blind. So, like, actors' ages rarely me, yeah. ever affects me. People, like, I, I, my reference I always go to is I, Tanya, where, like, Margot Robbie just plays, like, a 16-year-old and, like, sure, yeah, whatever, give her fake braces and bangs. <laughs> it's fine. But anyways, yes, Donna, uh, Donna Hayward, who is the daughter of Doc Hayward, she meets up with... Laura's best friend. Yes, she meets up with a boy named James Hurley, who just has the, a massive forehead, which must be... Yeah, got, it's... Gotta be it, it, it's... Yeah, it, it's an elephant in the room, mm-hmm. and it's an elephant-sized forehead, for sure. It's... <laughs> uh, everyone, he's a funny character. I think go people Google don't James like... Hurley, uh, forehead... Do people, I think people don't like James Hurley. He's, he's sweet, but he's not, his arc goes dumbass places, especially in season two, but he's fine. Yeah. Sweet, dumb guy, I think is what Laura calls him. Sweet, but so dumb. Yeah, he's, he's a himbo, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's, I think people are like, why does everyone fall in love with him? And it's like, I don't know, because he's a, a biker boy and this small and nice town. and sensitive yeah and like a little yeah kind in any amount of way because everyone else is just full of vitriol which we'll see with bobby and uh donna's boyfriend mike who's like a football star um he's also just a huge asshole and she's like why am i in this relationship um when i'm secretly in love with james because everyone is secretly in love with james on this show including laura yes. james and laura were secretly together mm-hmm. so that's that's the thing is that uh Donna is Laura's best friend and the only person who knows that she's secretly seeing James behind Bobby's back. And James is the secret boyfriend. Um, and the three of them are, uh, you know, a very close trio. Uh, they go to class. They notice mm-hmm. that Laura's seat is empty. And like the earlier scenes, just like things start slowly setting in for everybody. Uh, like a, w- yeah. one of the cops comes in and talks to the teacher. The teacher looks very distressed. And Donna basically just, like, looks at that, looks at the empty chair, looks at James, and just starts crying. Uh, also, uh, out the window, some woman just starts running away screaming. It's, it's really nice, because it's another moment of the people who know her very well come to the realization before they have to be told that mm-hmm. Laura died. It's, it's, I, when I was watching this, s- I almost was thinking, like, was she, like, missing for two days? But no, this is literally, the ex- like, she was seen last night um, perfectly right. fine. It's just it's just that heavy anyway. I guess they know enough that she's like not this perfect kid that people think she is. Right. 
so yeah, the some other cops here are here to uh they're looking for Bobby to talk to him about what happened because gotta talk to the boyfriend gotta talk That's to the works. boyfriend um i don't know when we get hawk's name um uh, but he is one of the few people of color in the show uh native yep. american uh officer here and also just an but incredible they make character. him a cop which sucks yeah he's i still think he's a really good character but uh, there is a point Great character. there's a yeah. there's a point where there's, like, there's an asterisk on a lot of things where it's like eh, they're cops but he's here with uh, Sheriff Truman, right? They're both there, I think. Uh, yeah, he. I think, yeah, Andy and... It, it's Andy and Hawk talking to Bobby, and then Truman comes in, and that's mm, when he mm-hmm. t- he tells Bobby, like, yeah, like, he's like, were you told your rights? And he's like, yeah, but I don't know why. And he's like, uh, Laura was, was found dead. And um, uh, I, Bobby responds pretty poorly, I would say. Yeah, he... It's, it's tough, too. Like, you do see a moment, like, he is... I think it's clear from the performance that he is very surprised. Like, he, he didn't mm-hmm. know this. But he immediately, instead of, like, he, well, first he says, Laura's dead. And after the sheriff says yes and asks him if he had been read his rights, he immediately jumps to, you think I killed her? Yeah. And he says it like that because he's Bobby Briggs. Mm-hmm. I, I, like, I like watching Bobby. Not a great guy, if I, but. If, <laughs> if, I were, if I were trans mask, Bobby would be transition goals <laughs> but i'm not <laughs> yeah uh yeah he's i don't know what that means you figure it out no i i i, I get it no I, I i completely agree the same same hat even but uh <laughs> yeah he 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 is very much like like a lot of characters in this show just like kind of has this like pent up angry masculinity so it's not even like he's like ever going to be vulnerable or sad about it he just kind of starts screaming like you don't think i did it we were in love she loved me and like we were both cheating on each other but like he just kind of explodes in this way or he's like mm-hmm. very protective and defensive instantly and yeah just good good performance there and uh a lot of this plays out over time as you learn some of this stuff and i think that's why i found it just kind of so uh winning on the rewatch too but also, like, something that is, I think, a little bit undone from the nature of us doing a recap podcast is all this plays really well into the mystery. Because you're like, well, who did it? Do you, I mean, right, right. me watching Lynch at this point, I don't know if I care who did it, but uh, there, like, that's, that's... You're just long for the ride. Yeah, th- yeah, that's very much Frost's hands, too, I think, of just being like, there's a mystery here. We're going to play with the mystery. It is a whodunit, yeah. for sure. Yeah, and, and there are... It's not Agatha Christie level of you got all the clues. We gave you all the clues, mm-hmm. Mr. Policeman. But it, uh, Mr. Police. But there are there are there are things that you could you can suss out. I think mm-hmm. the next scene is not important, but it's very funny to me because the character of the principal, Principal Woltrek, gives this really like impassioned speech about what Laura meant to the school. Um, and then the, the principal Wolchek never <laughs> shows up again mm-hmm. in the show, and I I think that that almost speaks more to that to the weight of it, where just like this this principal just kind of breaks down crying when he has to tell everyone the news. You don't need to <laughs> see him again. Never seen again. <laughs> she's, it's just she's that important. It affects. It's a full on Sora's mom. Uh-huh. <laughs> like they draw so much attention to him, and then he's gone. But yeah, I think it's 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 one. I think it's before. Uh, I think it's at the end of this scene where like you see Donna break down and like it uh, like fades from that to a picture of Laura in the like just in the ho- empty hallway of like her as the homecoming queen. 
And that was where I paused it to cry. Uh, Donna, Do- yeah. Donna's breakdown just like fucking devastated me on, on the rewatch. It's it's a it's a nice character moment too because there are a bunch of uh, background there are a bunch of extras who start like comforting Donna as she breaks down and she keeps making eye contact with James who because of the you know the the gender roles of the mm-hmm. gender of it all um, it does smack like she has all of these people like trying to comfort her um, and he doesn't because that's. Because boys don't comfort boys, no. yeah, and um, the, but you can I, see that yeah. they're bo- they're both broken down, and she shows it uh, in kind of just like a wailing cry. But he shows it in that he's like he folds into himself. He doesn't realize how tightly he's gripping his pencil, and then he's gripping it so tightly that it snaps in half. Mm-hmm. Just really shows how the two of them are uh, reacting to the situation yeah. nicely. Um, it's very funny. My brother once texted me, "Rewatched the pilot of Twin Peaks. I think Principal Wolchak killed Laura." <laughs> Which is just a very funny joke. Yeah. There's a lot of like smaller scenes that are just kind of like more character moments like that. We see Mrs. Palmer talking to the sheriff about whether she, Mm, you know, about Laura's activities last night. They pick up her diary. It's locked, so they don't read it immediately, but they pick up her diary from her room. Mm hmm. Uh, Apparently, Laura received a phone call late at night. Her phone only rang once. Yeah, and I think th- uh, this Mrs. is Palmer when doesn't know who what was. Yeah, and then this is when um there is another girl reported missing from uh someone who works at the mill or the Packard mill, I guess specifically. Are they combined? Should I don't we even fucking, fucking tr- should we even fucking try with the mill plot? <laughs> it's it's it is in, it is inscrutable to me. It, it, <laughs> it, is. it weirdly informs a lot of the like high level yeah. like white people fighting over land shit. There's so many machinations yeah. about, about this, about the land that this lumber mill is on and about the ownership of the mill. There and was, about I read the book. Josie's dead fucking holy I read shit. the yeah. book. The book is like all about that shit. Yeah, the book has a lot of information on that stuff. It's not vital to, to read it to like the show. I just wanted, I want more context because I'm a nerd. Uh, there's two mills by different Family is trying to be the the richest white people in town. They uh, fight until Pete marries Catherine because they were the fucking Romeo and Juliet of the situation. It's a loveless marriage. Catherine's a fucking just sack of hate. Great character on screen. Uh, But the one owner, some what one of the Packards, uh, Catherine's now dead brother, her brother, uh, married uh, Josie. The young woman he found in Hong Kong, he dies. So now she's in charge of everything. But she has ingratiated herself to Pete as well. So she kind of just gets to do uh, whatever whatever she wants. Uh, and this is another... Much to the chagrin of Catherine, who has mm-hmm. a lot of her own ideas about how the mill should be run. And they don't necessarily jive with Josie. Yeah, Josie's like the first face on screen as well. Uh, she in is. The pilot. She's doing her makeup in, before the... Before Pete goes out fishing. Also another case of uh, being like, well, people questioning um, how the actual people of color in the show end up uh, operating in this season. But we'll talk about Josie way later when it also brings new meaning to the phrase dead as a doorknob. Sure does. Anyways. Yeah. So they yeah, this scene is whatever. Um, Josie shuts down the mill to like acknowledge that like a bunch of bad shit has happened. And Catherine's pissed off because they're losing money. Uh, she fires a random guy in rage. Um, you're not supposed to like Catherine. 
anyways, we now go to uh, um, a gas He's station. not a random guy. His name is Fred Truax. He says his name. She asked his name and then fires him. Yeah. And that's yeah, that's the end of that. And then, um, oh, yeah, we, then we see what we'll later find out is uh, the missing girl, who I don't think I said her name, Ronette. Uh, Ronette Pulaski. We see her wandering either into town or out of town. They make a point later that it's across the state line, I think. That's right. She has been clearly uh, abused. She is, like, in, like, rags. She's bruised up. Staggering. Yeah. Yes. It's it's a very haunting image of her, like, walking across a bridge and someone spots her. And later she will uh, be seen at the hospital. And I Because I, I think it is her crossing a state line is what brings in the FBI agent. Is what they, they reference to that later, although... By the end of it, you're like, well, of course Cooper had to be here. But anyways, James, uh, we see him on his motorcycle. He goes to a gas station owned by his uncle, Big Ed Hurley. Great character. And such a great guy, Big Ed. He gives a note and says, you know, if you see Donna. Oh, he's, he says that Laura's dead. And he's very sad about it. Ed uh, already know, knew. James says, like, she was the one, which I think. I think that's the first instance of you knowing that they were together. Yep. But he gives a note to, uh, it says, give this to Donna if you see her. He drives off. And also, this is our introduction to Ed's wife, another one of the best characters in this show. Ed! <laughs> Ed! Nadine! The, they said those drapes would be ready by 10! <sighs> now I want those drapes up by nightfall! Uh-huh, and then he drives off, um, and I guess he gets the drapes because she puts them up. Oh, Nadine. Oh, Nadine. Nadine. The drapes will be the drapes, Nadine. Nadine. She'll learn. You know, Nadine is a short, angry woman who wears an eye patch. Mm hmm. And. And also Ed's wife. Yes. Uh, And she will add plenty of things to this show that bring me great joy over time. Um, But right now, she is just a source of uh, conflict for Big Ed here. Who we'll later find out is in love with Norma. Because this isn't... that All this fucking shit, that's not exclusive to the teenagers. The adults are dealing with Tangled it, too. Tangled web, we were telling you. Tangled web. All right, so we've been talking now for nearly 50 minutes. Dale Cooper finally shows up. Hello, it's the, it's the lead character, finally. The first build, Kyle McLaughlin, Federal Bureau of Investigation Special Agent Dale Cooper. Uh, arriving in Twin Peaks at 11.30 a.m. Another and just incredible character introduction. Uh, he pulls out, a, he has a tape recorder with him that he does to record all of his thoughts to his, I might be wrong about this secretary. Um, I don't actually It's remember. never made clear except okay. in the, re- uh, I don't, they might give Maybe her, Firewatch. they might say who she was to him in the return, but I mean, I don't think Somebody. they ever like say secretary, but she is clearly some sort of assisting figure for mm-hmm. him. Or I, I always am. thought, watch, before the. Before the return, I always thought she wasn't real, and it was just like, like that's just what he called his tape recorder is yeah. what I would always thought, but no. Yeah, it's, uh, there's like a very short scene gesturing to Diane and Firewalk with me as well. You don't, but you don't see your face. And yeah. even still, though, I was happy with that. I was like, just never, like, commit to that bit. And I love what happens in season three, so I'm not complaining. Uh, but anyways, yeah. yes, he has a tape recorder. He says that he, you know, begins all of his things with Diane, mentions her name a lot. Uh, because that is who he was referring to through the tapes. And it is just a, an incredible character beat. And yeah, so he is driving into Twin Peaks, uh, kind of just stating some plot points. He's going to meet up with, uh, 
with Harry S. Truman. Easy to remember that name. He's and he's just really excited about the food he had at the Lamplighter Inn, and he loves these. There's trees. a cherry pie that'll kill you. Damn good food. Can't can't overstate how good. Oh wait, he doesn't say that cherry pie will kill you. He says that that's a later cherry pie that he comments on. Mm-hmm. This in this instance, he says, Diane, if you get out this way, that cherry pie is worth a stop. Yeah. Uh, he notes, you know, his mileage in his gas tank. He's 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 just a very detail-oriented guy, but he's also kind of scattered brain because he'll just keep talking about how nice these trees are. Uh, never seen so many trees in my life. And yeah, Kyle MacLachlan is just in- incredible. Watching like three Lynch things in a row, you kind of see the range <laughs> that MacLachlan has when he. When uh, he yeah, absolutely. Because he's yeah. like this like confused, fucked up kid in blue velvet. Uh, I think he effectively plays the weird hero in Dune, and then he's just like this. He's Dale Cooper is kind of what if you made up a guy? <laughs> he's really he is really goofy, and that's an it's an interesting thing for a lead character mm-hmm. to kind of also be your comic relief in a lot of ways. He's very serious when he needs to be, and he gets mm-hmm. down to business to uh, solve this murder. But he's also very funny. Yeah, and that, uh, both intentionally and not. Yeah, that's another thing that I think hasn't been mentioned yet. A lot of people dunk on silliness in Twin Peaks, but it's on purpose. It's intentionally mm-hmm. funny and good. Uh, and let's that, this continues into the next scene where Dale meets uh, Harry S. Truman. They're going to be a pretty dynamic duo throughout this show. OTP, I ship them so hard. <laughs> they need to get together. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Dale the is... The one you've been waiting for is, is right in front of you the whole uh, time. It's Cooper. Cooper. And so they're having this conversation in the hallway as he's going to meet, uh, I think, before he meets Ronette. Uh, that's what he's ori- initially called here for. That's right, because that's what gives the because f- he's an FBI agent. And the only reason the FBI has jurisdiction is because one of the attacks was on someone who crossed state lines. And because mm-hmm. of the interstate commerce clause, that gives the federal important, government jurisdiction. Important detail. Uh, I mean, not, not really, but he's here now and he doesn't leave. So. This conversation that he has with Harry is great because he's like get, asking all these case facts of, of which I don't even remember like where he starts or ends. But like he, he asks an important case detail, very serious. This is about, you know, women who were attacked. And then he's like, Harry, you got to tell me what kind of trees these are. And he like, yeah, he oh, goes from very serious. Like you got it. When the FBI gets called in, we call the shots. You got to understand that there are some times when law enforcement can. Uh, local law enforcement doesn't like that, but we got to get get off on the right foot. And then Sheriff's like, yeah, happy to have you here. And then he immediately cuts into, you got to tell me about these trees. <laughs> and it's like, uh, they're Douglas firs, right? Am I remembering that name right? You got it right. Douglas firs. Yeah, he, he leans back. He's like, Douglas firs. Is the autopsy done yet? And then they just c- continue uh, the seriousness. And it's again. not. It is, it is not. Um, so he goes to see Ronette, who is nonverbal um a lot of his like what like what he's doing and like he asked a question them and they're like she's like she's not she's not talking at all like we and we we don't have the technology here to actually do a cat scan like we want to more of this like you know small town stuff but uh he like wants to look at her fingers specifically he like he knows what he's looking for and they're like they've already scrubbed it for particles um so they don't really know what he's doing he doesn't find anything with Renette, but she says something which is alarming yeah, because she's she's the the doctor there says that they don't have a cat scan to confirm it, but mm-hmm. she does like she's not in a coma. I don't think maybe she is, but she's she's not gonna get up or be 
okay no. for a while. She's out. She's alive and stable, but out cold. Mm-hmm. And after this, we see uh, Cooper and Harry in an elevator with, um, and out in front of them, uh, a man with one arm is is there and like leaves. Uh, he doesn't show up again uh, in this episode. But in this episode, yeah, he will show up later. He is in the alternate ending, uh, which is which is an interesting thing. Like I guess to some extent, they knew what they were doing with some of these characters because of yeah. them showing up in the ending. It's just very different than what actually happens in the in the long form. Unfortunately, they also see someone else outside the door of the elevator who like runs up the Harry stairs to catch them. Like, oh god, it's him! Hits the closed door button. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, it is. This is our introduction to the town psychiatrist Lawrence Jacoby, who talks to them with like one earplug in. Uh, about very dour stuff with a big smile on his face. Chuckling like a wild man. <laughs> He's, yes. Uh, yeah, so they're, they're talking about Laura. Laura was seeing him as a psychiatrist, and like mid-laugh, he's like, oh, her parents didn't know. And they just like, he, like he, he asked to go to the morgue with them, and they're like, uh, no, you, you, no. Why would you, why do you no, want that? You're weird and we don't like you. <laughs> yeah, basically. And they're like, oh, I'd like to help whoever I can. And Cooper's like, we'll talk to you plenty later, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, and they walk off and Cooper's like, that man is a psychiatrist. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this next scene has one of, so there are a lot of anecdotes about the behind the scenes of Twin Peaks. Who knows how many of them are true because we're talking about. You know, we're talking about people who make stories up for a living. Mm -hmm. But there is a story about this scene where it was originally just supposed to be Cooper and Truman in this shot. But there's this uh, but in this like hospital that they were filming, some of the equipment was busted. So this light that they're using in the morgue uh, is flickering. Mm -hmm. And instead of just getting a new light, Lynch is like, I love how that looks. It does look great. Put in an extra. Let's just put an extra in there and have him say, I have to apologize again for the flush, flur- flip, flip, flip. Sorry. Sorry, I have I'm going to take that light again. again. I'm going to walk out and try it again. I have to apologize. I mean, that's basically what really happens. I have to apologize again for the farfic nougat. No, I have to apologize again for the fluorescent lights. I think it's a bad transformer. Um, but why it's very funny is because the the story goes that this actor who's only like plopped in there because of a fault because of faulty equipment mm-hmm. thinks he hears someone yell cut and he thinks the scene is over, but it isn't. And Cooper asks him, can you leave oh, us alone, that. please? But the guy doesn't hear him correctly and thinks he said and thinks it's name? actor Kyle McLaughlin asking this actor, what can you tell me your name, please? Mm-hmm. And so the. And so in and and that's the take that uh Lynch keeps. So the It's so good. Do you want to be do you want to be Jim or do you want to be Cooper? Yeah, so uh start with him finding the, what he's looking for up uh, like two two lines above. And I'll I'll be I'll I'll, I'll be the doctor man. Okay. Uh there it is. He's l- looking in the fingernails of Laura's dead body mm-hmm. and, and he, he says, finds something. There it is. Oh my god, here it is. And I think this is Harry who says, "What?" Mhm. Uh, and Cooper turns to Dr. Mann and says, would you leave us, please? Uh, Jim. Uh, would you leave us alone, please? That, uh, oh, oh, certainly. And then he walks out. <laughs> Here's the thing. It's so funny if that's a happy accident, but it is so incredible either fucking way. 
it's great. It's so good. It, I live for this. Mm-hmm. And 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 Lynch talks about that too. Of like a lot of his filmmaking is finding things, which is also why sometimes mm-hmm. his productions can be uh, belabored. I think it took like five years to get uh, Eraserhead put together. Also because he had no money. But yeah, that scene is is, is great. And I, lo- I do love how it looks. So uh, the, the flashing lights is, is good. Uh, they return to this room in the alternate ending. And someone's like, I didn't, oh. I didn't turn the lights on because they flash. And it's like, yeah, yeah, we know about that. Bad Transformer. Uh, <laughs> it's just funny. But yeah, so. Thanks, Jim. <laughs> thank, thanks, Jim. <laughs> Nameless Extra now credited as Jim. But, but that is his real. That is also the, the actor's, actor's real name. name, too. It's so funny. But yeah, what what I don't th- do we see what he finds? Um, I yes. think we do. It, it's a very uh, f- like basically microscopic piece of paper with the letter R on it. That's right, typed out like with a mm-hmm. typewriter. Weird. Weird. Uh, he we, he says the name of a character we'll see later. He we're introduced to the idea of Albert. We won't see him for quite a few episodes. But mm-hmm. He says, "Diane, give this to Albert and his team. Don't go to Sam. Albert seems a little more on the ball." Mm-hmm. Uh, I love Albert. I'm looking forward to talking about. Albert. What happens next after this, though? though? That made me think of, though, I was reading an interview with Irina um, uh, Mamadchen, Amic, mm-hmm. the actress who plays Shelly. She just dyes her hair and then later is like, oh, I didn't even think that I have an acting job that might affect. And Lynch is like, no, it looks great. We'll write a scene where your character dyes her hair. This, these, like, oh, that's nice. These things just happen in real life. It's, who, who cares? And I, and I like that detail as well. I don't even think I noticed it watching it the first time that her hair color just changes. Um, I think there's several characters that look different between the pilot and the next episode just because of how TV is made. And also the sets change, of course, because they're not filming at a lot of the same locations. Anyways. But hey, people change. It's true. Anyways, uh, so yeah, the, they find the R in the fingernail, which will be important. Donna goes to the gas station and gets the note from Ed. Uh, her shitty boyfriend, Mike, shows up and screams at her. Basically says, like... Bobby's being yelled at by cops and he's my best friend so you have to be next to me to support me and she's like looking for James who is uh you know struggling in his own sad boy way uh Mike drives also a uh, nice person unlike her boyfriend all, yeah <laughs> rare to find a nice person and when you find him they're just dumb as shit uh yeah. I think that's true of almost every character in this show but anyways he drives off Donna who's like Boy, do I know how to pick him. And then, like, Nadine pops her head out, yells at Ed, like, hang on my drapes! And Ed's like, mm-hmm. I-, I know how to pick him, too. It's a really nice moment between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nice. It's, I think it's good, it's good for Ed, too, because it shows that it's not just his nephew that he has a good relationship with, but he's, like a, he's clearly, like, a role model to a lot of these kind of, uh, not outsider kids, but kids who feel like that, at least. Mm-hmm. Because they're not just, like, part of this, like, weird vitriolic uh, uh mass yeah, of yeah. of uh i mean we'll get more into it with, with with time but um just like the interactions you see with like bobby and mike over time they're just like what the fuck is wrong with these people yeah because <laughs> all this happens over like one day uh and just like you're like oh bobby's drunk and dancing on the hood of a car he was told laura died this morning um he must be taking it pretty pretty poorly and it's like i don't even know how much of that <laughs> is him just like burying it or just not caring because he's a mediocre guy at this point in his life i guess it's a little bit of both like i think that they fold into each other that's the implication i think every lynch character is just this complicated which is a thing that i i like about it 
But anyways, she gets that note. Uh, Donna gets that note from from James. It says, meet me at the roadhouse at, I think, 930. Um, maybe 830. It doesn't matter. But um, that's a that's a, another hot spot in the town, a bar that we'll see plenty of. Uh, you'll see it 18 times in the return. And uh, let's go back to Cooper, who is uh, just busting open Laura's diary. Uh, when, in, a, in a particularly funny scene, Harry's like, yeah, that's her diary, but we haven't found a key yet. And Cooper just like breaks it open. <laughs> it's it's like a child's diary yeah. with like a tiny dinky lock. It's like so, he just opens it. It's funny because he's just like, we need to read this. And I I guess like Harry and the rest of the force is like, we don't want to like disrespect what it is. And it's just like, I'm, I'm <laughs> she died. I'm busting this open. Uh, the last diary entry mentions that she's going to meet someone. It just says the letter J. Nervous about meeting J tonight. Mm-hmm. And uh, he goes back a couple pages and finds a, a weird little clear plastic envelope with a key in it to us. Uh, he can tell it's to a security deposit box or a safety deposit box. As well as a white powder that he suspects is cocaine. Mm-hmm. And Harry's like, oh, Cooper, I, I don't know what you see as an FBI agent, but the, Laura, Laura was a good girl. And Cooper's like, yeah, no, it's probably, it's probably cocaine, dude. <laughs> I've been around the horn a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The scene that he's got like a pile of evidence he was going through and the diary is on top of it. Once he's done with the diary, he puts it aside and grabs the next item and says, Diane, I'm holding in my hand a small box of chocolate bunnies. <laughs> and then the, <laughs> the scene ends. <laughs> yeah, I there's like a, a genuineness to everything that comes out of Cooper's mouth. Yeah. Very effective. Uh, they also have a, I think they mention like uh, VHS tape that comes up in a later scene. I think they mentioned in this first scene. Anyways, we cut now to uh, Andy um, and I guess some other nameless cops who have found an old train car that they, they they find the murder scene. They find out where it happened. And Andy is again crying. He's calling into Lucy and he asks uh, her to not tell. He, say, say that I didn't cry as he's like sobbing into the into the, I guess, radio. Probably not. He doesn't have a cell phone. It's the 90s. Or 89. Lucy even. calls him sweetie, which is the first time we get mm-hmm. an implication that the two of them are together. I don't mm-hmm. it, I get the impression that they're not yet official, but they are at least together. I, there's a scene in the alternate ending. I it's so evocative that I can't remember if it was in the show, if it gets reused or not. I hope it does. Mm. But you you'll you'll tell me because you'll either know what scene it or not. Uh it is it is the two of them at home, like at at night. Uh, Andy is like wearing cowboy boots and playing trumpet, and uh, and, and no, I have never seen and, this. And Lucy is just playing. I, I think it's called a paddle ball, whatever that little like toy with the ball and the string is called. Yeah, um, she's just playing that, and he's poorly playing trumpet and cowboy boots. Uh, and like that's just how they spend their night. The phone rings, that's and they're me, like, oh. "That's actually me and that's actually me and Carly." Every night. <laughs> Like, she gets a call and is like, oh, we were just getting ready for bed. Like, and he doesn't stop playing trumpet when she answers the phone. <laughs> this is immediately following, like, one of the most terrifying things I've ever seen, by the way. That's, that's, that's the beauty of Twin Peaks. Worth, worth, worth watching for that scene alone. Maybe I can track it down or a screenshot to share you with you later. Um, anyways, yeah, no, their relationship is um, great. Uh, so he, yeah, he cries. Um, now we get Cooper interrogating Bobby about, uh, like, you were, you were, with um or he was supposed to be with laura last night i don't think they actually were but i think we can skip past most of this because all the details will come up again but 
the gist of it is yes. there's a video that's been recorded from the night that Laura disappeared that shows her dancing and having a good time with her best friend Donna, but someone else is holding the camera and Cooper asks if Bobby filmed it. Uh, Bobby did not. He's very alarmed at the footage. Like He's like, I didn't know this existed. He's very taken aback mm-hmm. by it. And Cooper takes from this the conclusion that Laura was seeing someone else and tries to get a rise out of Bobby to see if Bobby will tell him the name of the person he's looking for, the name of the person with the camera. Mm-hmm. Um, but I- Bobby... As if they would does know who Jay is. Um, I think he yeah. does know who he thinks of. He just does not say. I think so, too. It, 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 he Later, he goes after a uh, biker. So I think he knows it's James. And uh, it's very funny. I guess it looks like a calculator. It's like a little PDA that Cooper has where he types something out. And he, as he's Instead like... Instead of writing a note to the sheriff? Yeah, yeah. he has like a little... He like writes boobs on a calculator. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> like, he, yeah, he types something out and passes it over. It just says he did not do it. <laughs> As he's like uh, continuing to to finish up this questioning, yeah. Later he, you know, he talks to Mike in the lobby and is like, "We're gonna go get that biker." Lucy overhears this and tries to tell Cooper in her like, you know, normal way that takes a full three minutes to say like, "Well, I was overhearing this, and then I I, I pretended I was typing, but I was actually typing out uh, what they were saying." And well, the thing that they were saying is that, and then Cooper's like, "You're gonna tell me that the J is a biker." And he's like, how did you know? And he, like, plays the tape up that it zooms into Laura's and eye. Hates. Basically, through a scanner darkly, he sees a reflection of, <laughs> a reflection of a motorcycle in Laura's eye in the tape. And it's like, he's, he's always paying more attention than he ever actually fucking tells anybody until it's important. Which is very fun uh, for me to mm-hmm. watch. Also, Audrey uh, causes problems. There... The- we mentioned we mentioned uh, the lumber mill uh, conspiracy before. This is loosely connected because mm-hmm. uh, Leland Palmer, Laura's dad, as well as Audrey's dad, uh, Benjamin Horn, mm-hmm. uh, the two of them together are trying to sell some land to these Norwegian investors who want to build like a resort, I guess. But the trick of it is that they don't actually own all of the land yet that they want to sell because they can't convince. I think Jos- Jos- Catherine Josie. and Josie Packard to sell the land that their mill is on. Catherine, I believe, is on Ben's side. That's right. Uh, it's You're just right. that it's just you that Josie that right. they can't get. I think they were. She's like, the owner. Josie has her own yeah. side plot that where she's trying to also do yeah. similar stuff, and she's manipulating Pete and a bunch of other people. Uh, but but all of that to say, Audrey be, ruins uh, it. Just in her. Uh, ever enduring quest for chaos mm-hmm. um, makes a like when her dad and Leland are out of the room and it's just the Norwegian investors. She goes in and makes this big scene of being about being so sad that her friend Laura has mm-hmm. been brutally murdered and wrapped in plastic. And mm-hmm. clearly she didn't really know Laura that well, but she's just trying to scare these investors because that would make her dad mad. And that's what she wants to do. Yeah. Visibly dad sucks. Visibly not sad when the announcement happens at school. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, she, they're, they're trying to make a big deal about not letting the Norwegians know about the the the, the murder because they don't want to ruin the deal. She goes in and tells everybody, um, and they're all very taken uh, with the attractive the front young desk woman. woman. Starts yelling, "The, the Norwegians, Norwegians are, are leaving. leaving! The Norwegians are leaving!" It's so good. Very funny music as uh, Audrey is just boom, like, boom, boom, boom. 
<laughs> laughing about it. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> boop, boop. Anyway, so Cooper questions Donna. She starts to cry as she tells lies about like, oh, it's some random female hiker who took the video for us as like footage of Laura making kissy faces of the camera is happening. <laughs> Coop's not convincing. No, Cooper's, great scene, Cooper's basically just like, it's been a hard day for you. I'm going to talk to you again later <laughs> and lets her go. Yep. Um, I, I guess this is when he gets uh, the, the, the biker reveal. Um, he th- zooms into the screen. James is up at the picnic spot again alone. He's holding something which will later be uh, revealed to be uh, half of a heart-shaped necklace. Uh, but we see that the first time we see the first half is at the murder scene where Cooper and Truman um, find it. It's a dark, scary-looking scene inside this uh, abandoned train car. Uh, murder happened here and other various bad things. But they find the half of the heart-shaped necklace and they find a note that they uh, assume is written in blood. And it says, fire, walk with me. That sounds cool. Familiar. Will do. Thanks for the tip. Yeah. Don't do it too many times. Um, I've heard that's bad for you. But yeah, you'll get a foot problem. Yeah, you get eczema on your feet. Oh, we get our introduction to Johnny. I don't know if we need to talk about him much in this first episode. Or at all, really. Who? Audrey's brother, Johnny. Oh, right. Yes, Johnny. He's, a, yeah, he's the... an incredibly small part of the show in general. I think he shows up one more time after this. Yeah, he is Audrey's brother who um, has some sort of disability. He's nonverbal. He has Laura as his uh, like special needs tutor, it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's very upset to learn that Laura is not going to be able to come and tutor him today. Uh, and his parents are awful to him. And mm-hmm. uh, in fact, his mother doesn't even want to talk to him and just yells at the cleaning lady to yell at her son why doesn't he understand it's really sad but it is but that's also kind of another reason why audrey horn hates her parents yeah it's it's kind of important for those reasons um but yeah i don't i couldn't i know he's in one very similarly tragic scene in the return but i don't remember anything about his presence in the original show anyways cooper and harry go find out that safety deposit box i didn't know this employee at the fucking bank had a name she does and uh, they open the box, and inside of it is a magazine called Flesh World, which is exactly what it sounds like. There is just a, a mounted deer's head on the table mm-hmm. instead of being mounted on the wall, and the woman just says, oh, it fell down. <laughs> <laughs> so many Good. weird little things like that, and I like all of them. <laughs> yeah, you're right, though. They find a por- They find a porno mag. A nudie. Uh, and, uh, $10,000 in the, in, in the box as well. Uh, he says well over. Just saving it, for, saving both for a rainy day. Uh-huh. And, uh, they, at, at, until this point, they couldn't find a connection between, uh, Ronette and, uh, Laura, but in her safety deposit box is this porn mag, and in it is a circled article and a picture of Ronette Pulaski. And he's like, there's your connection. I don't know what the connection is, but there's something there. Uh, also, the camera kind of pans over to another picture in the magazine of a big truck, which fades in to confirm for you that, yes, that is uh, the truck of Shelley's husband, Leo, uh, who also has a very small presence in this pilot. But uh, we cut to a scene where he's just just a, a mean, scary man to her. 
Yeah, we probably don't have to go through all of it. It essentially establishes that he's an abusive husband, Mm -hmm. um, verbally abusive in this case, and uh, physically abusive in later episodes. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's horrifying, and uh, you can see that you can see why Shelly is um, reaching out to other people because when she's with Leo, she lives in constant fear. Mm -hmm. All of that's very effective um, in, in like direction and performances. Uh, which can be upsetting to watch when it's very effective. What uh, what what else happens? Oh, the, we get a scene of it's starting to get nighttime now. Norma, uh, the owner of the Double R, calls Ed. I mentioned before that they uh have like this weird thing they're into each other, but they're both married to people that um they don't want to be with. Uh, and she's like, "Meet me at the Roadhouse later." Ed looks out the window and Nadine is just opening and closing her drapes, holding eye contact with him. It's so, so good. And that, that's the end of that scene. Uh, Cooper holds a town meeting where he kind of uh, stakes his claim that he is going to be investigating shit uh, for a while. Um, he learns a little bit more about the town. I already explained the stuff about Josie that... Uh, that Harry explains, um, but he does also call her the most beautiful person in the state because he, uh, surprise is, uh, seeing her secretly because everyone is seeing someone secretly. I, I guess, except for, I guess probably everyone a- knows probably about Andy and, and Lucy. They're just, they're mm-hmm. just nice. There's also a lady with a log. Yes. Uh, they call her the log lady. That's all we hear it's, about her. <laughs> it's, it's, it's such a masterful piece of like both like line delivery and pacing because like Cooper's is like, who's that? Who's that? Who's that? And like, Harry's like, oh, that's this person. Uh, they married them. This guy died. That's the that. And uh, he's like, who's that lady with the log? He's like, oh, we call her the log lady. We call her the log lady. That's it. And that's it. <laughs> and we just cut to her like flashing the lights like fucking Nosferatu and like trying to get everyone to shut, <laughs> shut up for the meeting. Um, she, I, I mentioned her earlier. She's uh, that weird little intro scene that I don't know the, the purpose of. Uh, her name's Margaret. She's She's cool. I love the log lady. Um, we'll talk plenty about the log lady in time. Um, this is her only mention and, and uh, uh, appearance in this pilot. Um, so yeah, he, he mentions that a year ago, he researched the murder of a, a young woman named Teresa Banks, who also had a letter. I don't, I don't think he says, he doesn't give these reasons, but uh, she had a letter under her fingernail as well. So he believes these are connected. And he's like, I, I believe that these murders are connected and uh, the killer could be a citizen of Twin Peaks. It could be someone that, you know, uh, and he puts out a, a curfew for people under 18 that uh, everyone breaks uh, immediately. Yeah, I don't think a single one of our teen characters actually obeys the curfew. Nobody um, tries. <laughs> we can st- I think we can kind of start shotgun in the end of this mm-hmm. because I mean, we, we kind of had it's essentially Donna just the pieces breaking curfew and coming like together. Out. Yeah. Yeah, Donna sneaks out with the help of her little sister to meet with James at the roadhouse. Mm-hmm. But it, it, she she overhears her dad talk about the necklace. Her dad, the doctor, Doc Hayward, who yeah is is trying to just confide in his his wife, but uh, uh, she overhears it. She, so she wants to go and um meet up with James and warn him about that, and they do because she knows that James didn't kill her. But if the cops find her with the other half of the heart necklace that was mm-hmm. at the place that Laura died, then they'll think he's the killer. So and he has she no needs alibi. to go out and tell him to hide it. And he has no alibi. Which yeah. he, he, when they do meet up, he's like, yeah, we rode around together on a bike, but she was, she was like, 
she seemed like wigged a different... out on something or just yeah he says that she seemed like a different person she got off the bike ran away and i just drove around all night alone so like you know that's not a <laughs> that's not an alibi i have the other half of the necklace i have to i have to go to the police because otherwise they're gonna find me anyway uh but she insists that they uh she wants to just take the necklace but they decide to bury it which will come up again in a second uh, we, we, that does skip over a little bit because, uh, she goes to the roadhouse, um, a fight breaks out there because Mike and Bobby go, Mike and Bobby are looking for her at her house. She's not there. They beat her to the roadhouse because they have a car. She has mm-hmm. a bike. Bobby dances on the hood of the truck. It's just a really great image. Uh, we, we catch back up with Ed and Norma. We know they were going to meet each other at the roadhouse they secretly. Do. And Ed tries to break up the fight, but it just makes the brawl bigger and sh- and during that brawl is when donna uh escapes out the back to mm-hmm. to go meet with james and, and and james's friend joey drives her off to a secluded spot away from the bar where she meets with james uh cooper and sheriff truman try to follow but they kind of they lose them for a bit which is long enough for donna and james to have that conversation we talked about uh but then once the two of them decide to go home they cross paths uh, once and for all with Cooper and Sheriff Truman, and they arrest James on suspicion of the murder of Laura Palmer. Mm-hmm. And what are what are some other details? Uh, oh, uh, at the bar, I, or at the roadhouse, I will point out that uh, the, the main theme song is playing, but the version with lyrics... And Julie Cruz, consummate professional, does mm-hmm. not stop singing, even despite the, the giant bar brawl. It's an incredible shot, and, like, the way it scores it. It's like, this, like... I do see Twin Peaks, like a fight breaking out at the bar while this like <laughs> this like very tender love song plays like that is like it clearly happens every night. It's just I don't know. Yeah, it's just an incredible combination of all pieces involved. But yeah, I think you got all the important details. Um, when James gets taken to his cell, uh, Bobby and Mike are in another cell and they start barking at him. Yeah, because they started the bar fight. So they're that's they're not even an intimidate I, they literally just start like making bark noises. I'm not. They do that. Yeah, to and intimidate then he, him. And he just and he seems intimidated. He's a tiny yeah, boy. It would intimidate me. <laughs> yeah, not tiny in size, tiny in like emotional stature. Yeah. Yeah. So they bury the necklace. They run off to get caught. Uh, what else happens? Um. Oh. Uh. Cooper and Truman have a nice uh smorgasbord of donuts, which is just yeah. Uh, uh, as Cooper says, a policeman's dream. It's also my dream. I just like donuts. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, this exchange is really good in this scene where uh, Cooper's like, uh, can you recommend me a, a good hotel? And Harry's uh, is like, clean and affordable, or, or clean at a reasonable rate. And uh, Harry is like, yeah, I can get you a good rate to the Great Northern. And then Cooper does like another minute spiel about like his standards for lodging. He's just like, you know, I don't need much. I need a TV in the case that I nod off early. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just, he just goes on, and then, like, Harry just repeats the exact same thing again. I can get you a great way to the Great Northern, and this time Cooper's like, you got yourself a deal. <laughs> so good. This is the, one of the, yeah, the last scene here, or not the last scene, but second to the last scene, uh, Harry goes off to meet Josie in secret at their, uh, their lake house that she's in. Um, Catherine sees it out the window. She calls Benjamin Horn about it. Uh, it's like, I, you know, they're planning shit whole fucking plot line that we'll have to unpack over time 
And um, Harry, like, looks at it, the spot again and is like, I guess 24 hours ago, this must have been when that mor- murder happened as they look at, like, the spot where that she was found. And then the final shots of this episode is uh, Sarah Palmer, Laura's mom, trying to rest on her couch and she has a vision. I don't know. That th- also cuts to a hand digging up James's necklace. I don't know if that's what her vision is of, if that's what it's implying. I think it is, because I think that she mentions it in the following episode. I don't, I didn't okay. watch it this morning, but I do, I think I, she m- ends up saying that to the authorities or something. I, I believe this is a tenet of German expressionism, correct me if I'm wrong, but Lynch does a lot of just, like, putting images next to each other to create a connection between them. Mm-hmm. And, th- and this is one of those things where it's like, I guess you can read it as a dream or a vision. Uh, but she sits up screaming, and I gotta say, this is easily the, one of the most haunting images I've ever seen, because there is a face in the mirror, and the the face is an important face, uh, but it's, like, so blurry, it's, like, haunting for me because I know what it is, what it's referring to, but it's, like, she's, like, grieving, and she sees that face, she has that vision, and I'm just, like, I'm shook, hard cut, pretty music place. Yeah, end of episode. End of episode. And then, yeah, we that We did it scene, in under the 90 minutes of the episode. We, ju- just, we just cut it in under. Just barely. It can technically be considered a summary. <laughs> uh, yeah, the alternate ending has like a, a longer version of that scene with Sarah Palmer that I think is very good. And uh, the final scene is, is reused again in uh, uh, episode three or whatever. It's, it's the Red Room scene that we'll talk about plenty when we get there. But... Yeah, no, I a, a million fucking things set up, uh, lots of mystery to unpack, a million relationships to deal with. I'm going to send you the image now of uh, of Andy playing the trumpet that is in our chat. Oh, that's Relation- so nice. What a nice evening. That's those, love, those are my relationship goals, honestly. I, I love their evening dress. She's like in a full <laughs> evening gown playing paddle ball. And he's just like suited up in a getup that clash. It cla- the colors clash so hard. Um, he's, honestly, like the, but one he of goes his, like, so hard. So. One of his legs is like pant legs is rolled up. He's fucking got like a tedious look going on accidentally. <laughs> uh, it's it's, it's uh, an incredible. And he image. plays the ject tune. Mm-hmm. No. But yeah, that's uh, that's it. I'm very excited to watch the rest of season one and yeah. discuss it. Or all the other ep- the all the other episodes are normal thirty minute length. I don't know if the finale is longer or forty. Um, they're they're like are they forty five? Yeah, they're closer to forty five. Okay, minus the com- like with commercials taken out. Okay, I, I it's been a while since I've watched these. Yeah, but any yes, uh, they're not all this long. Um, so yeah, next time technically is episode one. Uh huh. But uh, if, if streaming should just all be in order, make sure I I don't know if this is still the case, but wheels. I know at one point you were like some streaming services will start on quote episode one and not the pilot. Well, I don't I haven't encountered that with a streaming service, but it used to be that you just couldn't get the pilot. Like when you got it on DVD, mm. you just wouldn't have the pilot. Um, that was the problem. So for a, for a long time, it was very hard to see the pilot. That's actually when my brother texted me to say that he I I 
shortened that story to make it simpler. But the actual thing is that despite being the hugest Twin Peaks fan in the world, there were years where he had seen the show and loved it, but hadn't seen the pilot because it was difficult mm-hmm. to get a hold of. And so he's Am like, I... finally saw the pilot of Twin Peaks. I think Principal Wolchak killed her. <laughs> <laughs> I Have you... Am I misremembering this story that uh, your brother saw Firewalk with me first? Or am I thinking uh, of somebody wouldn't else? Wouldn't have been him, I don't think. Okay. I remember that story being told to me by somebody. I do have a very funny story about Firewalk with me that we don't have time for today, but you can look forward to that in future episodes. Um, yeah. Joe, where are you on the internet? Uh, Twitter.com slash Ghost of Joe, Ghost of J. Oh, I tweet sometimes. Uh, this episode comes out. Uh, may the fourth be with you, and uh, I, I should be getting into the fifties of my Disney essays by now. If you go to ghostofjoe.com or I tweet about it, or if you just go to your podcast app and search "Make Mine Movies," if you want audio versions, I have been writing essays about every uh, Disney Studios movie from the main animation studios. Uh, I'm excited to get to the fifties because the movies are good, except for Peter Pan. You love to see it. You love to see you love to see a good movie, but like Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, Lady and the Tramp, those are all bangers. And uh, yeah, I am looking forward to trucking along with uh, with all those essays. Uh, thank you to everybody who has checked them out. Uh, it's always nice to hear. Um, and other than that, I have another podcast called uh, We Are Watching One Piece, where uh, I've been rewatching One Piece. It's now now my two podcasts are much more similar than they were before. Uh, but I've been rewatching One Piece. Uh, my co-host story is watching for the first time. I believe May, we are going to be finishing up Punk Hazard. We're starting to get into some of the dress rows are set up, but I think dress rows are proper probably starts in June. If I had to, I'm, I'm going off. I haven't looked at the spreadsheet in a minute, um, but I'm excited about dress Rosa. D- dress Rosa and Twin Peaks back to back. It feels like I'm just shooting myself back to whatever year I did both of those things the last time, probably 2017. <laughs> But uh, yes, it's it. That's that's a fun show, um, and that's all my plugs. Wheels, where could people find you? Twitter.com slash singular wheels and a podcast called Very Random Encounters, where some friends and I play tabletop role playing games and randomly determine as much as is possible. Uh, you're listening like to this far enough into the future. Actually, no, this is like next next week essentially. Fourth. Next week in a few days. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Happy birthday, DJ. Um, my brother. Uh, <laughs> uh, so that means, let me see, that'll mean this is coming out, I think, the day after the pilot episode of our new season on Very Random Encounters, where we are playing Bubble Gum Shoe. It's a hack of a ga- uh, mystery game called Gum Shoe, but it's uh, more like young adult mystery. So think like Hardy Boys or uh, that's, you know, that sort of thing. We're having a lot of fun with it. We're telling an improvised mystery story with our randomly generated characters as we normally do on Very Random Encounters. The characters are so much fun. Uh, you're going to love this season of Bubblegum Shoe on Very Random Encounters. You can also buy the book that me and my VRE co-hosts wrote of uh, tabletop r- role-playing random encounters. You can find that at bit.ly forward slash random book with a capital R and B. Hell yeah. Uh, you can follow uh, this podcast on Twitter at MemorizeCast, uh, now adding Twin Peaks shitpost into our oeuvre, our, our oeuvre um, which is very exciting. There's so many bits you can do mixing Kingdom Hearts and Twin Peaks, which is why, this is how we got here. Like, we've been making <laughs> Twin Peaks references 
for a hundred years. Um, which I should also say, I probably should have put this as a topic episode because people skip the plug sometimes, but I think we're going to be like, this is an old show, but I'm also not going to go out of my way to spoil stuff for the show. No. Kind of like Kingdom Hearts 3 rules. Maybe we make jokes for people who know, uh, but we're not going to just directly go out of our way and say anything. But um, Like when I said dead as a doorknob. <laughs> yeah, that's a great example. What does that mean? Who could say? Uh, but anyways... Yeah, I, I, Twitter's going to be the, the same way. I'm not going to go out of my way and just, like, retweet spoilers. But very excited uh, for all of this. Uh, I'm excited for Plockwas to listen along, not watch the show, and make memes anyway. Uh, <laughs> or watch the show, you know? If I, I'd be happy if... I'm happy for anyone who checks out this show because of us and enjoys it. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if you don't enjoy it, I just think it's a great show. Yeah, I hope I hope we're of some help too because it is a difficult show. It's a mm-hmm. it's a deliberately paced show. It can be difficult at times, but it's yeah. so rewarding. So if if us yammering on about it helps, we're happy. Yeah, I, and I, uh, you know, a friend of the show, Jory, talked about that. Where it's like they had a hard time getting into the pilot, but having a discussion podcast is going to be. You know, they they like the discussion part of watching things. Yeah. They don't like to watch stuff alone a lot, and I get that. That's that's cool. And yeah, I hope. You know, I hope that happens. I'm sure the Discord is going to be a good place for discussion. We'll probably have to reformat a couple stuff for, for spoiler tags if anyone's coming in new. I know some people are, so just be respectful of that if you're in the Discord. I'm sure everyone is because we have a great audience, except for that one uh, review who complained about us getting something wrong in Chain of Memories uh, that, I still, that we still think about and make fun <laughs> yeah, of sometimes. You're not bitter about it at all. It's just I don't funny. Oh, is it because we said Zexian? It was something with Zexian, right? Yeah, it's Fucking, just funny. Yeah. Um, or the, the other review that said we were too funny. They wanted us to be more straightforward. I <laughs> think about those what? two. They're right. Fucking but caught also, us red-handed, <laughs> dude. Also, I'd like to dedicate this to the one, re- my favorite review we've ever gotten is someone who just like went off about how happy they were about how much we referenced Twin Peaks because they like Twin Peaks. I think about that, that- review a lot. And this is, uh, this is for you, random citizen, whoever you are. Um, I hope you're still listening, I guess. Anyways, yeah, twitter.com slash MemorizeCast. We're on Patreon, patreon.com slash MemorizeCast. Uh, last month was another Elder Scrolls episode. This month will be JoJo again. Bonus episode to the $5 tier, uh, early at the $1 tier. Thank you to everyone who supports. This means a ton. Uh, thank you to everyone who, who, you know, came for Square Enixes and is staying for Twin Peaks. That's uh, Yeah, it means a lot. We realize it's a jump. It, it, it's, it's a jump. But also, if you get into it and you follow along, you will realize it's not as big of a jump as maybe you yeah. think. Um, and that's why we're, you know, we're doing it. We're going to have a great time. Oh, we need to talk about our theme music. Because we don't... Oh, are, we do- are we still doing Twin Peaks Eurobeat? Yeah. <laughs> I, I haven't found Google anything else. Twin Pe- Joe once Google searched Twin Peaks Eurobeat, and there was one, parentheses, one <laughs> result. Um... <laughs> Uh, it's seemingly, but, it is like erased from existence. There's, there is, there is one place that has this mix, uh, that we have used, but we don't know how to credit it because we can't find record of its historical existence ever. I, so. it, it's on one website, a streaming service that no one has ever heard of, but I, I, I'm, I'm if, so, if someone starts existing, like if, if, it was published in 2006. The artist credited is just Eurobeat. I think it came from a. <laughs> I think it came from a nether dimension because I right. don't. If like if you 
if if you know if this ends up uh, a legal shenanigan, you know what? Like, we'll deal with it. Good for you. Like, f- like <laughs> you're right. Like, wow, we're impressed. <laughs> I would love to hang that cease and desist in my home ne- <laughs> next next to my portrait of of Cooper that I have. But uh, uh, until then, I don't think the person who made this is real. They're fucking <laughs> uh, they're off fucking above the the hardware store eating garment bozier. It, ca- it came to us from the black lodge. Exactly. We're gonna put a link to where I found it in the show notes every episode to credit it the best we can. Um, and that's it. It came, it came from the great beyond. Uh, there's three little triangles on the song somewhere. And, uh, that's it. That I, I can't think of anything else, uh, to plug links to everything will be in our pinned tweet in the show notes. And, um, that was the twin peaks pilot Northwest passage. Yeah. I didn't memorize it. <laughs> <laughs>